Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 57 of Frameskip, your weekly video game podcast where we get together to talk about literally anything but mostly video games and maybe a little too much football and Star Wars. I am hosting this episode. My name is, of course, Austin Eller. I'm joined by my two buddies, my two partners in crime, Seth Slakehouse, what a keeper of the role. I don't even know what your, your nickname is anymore. It's been an, like an ongoing joke that I do not have a nickname. Uh, I was thinking the biceps of legend. The biceps, the biceps I don't have that good biceps. I got them, them, um, the, tr- the triceps, delts. the triceps of terror. The Delta of Destruction. <laughs> On a roll today. Uh, what's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing well, Seth. How are you? I'm doing all right. Just got off work. That's My good. job changes drastically in the summertime because really? it's hot. Yeah. So you were people pooping in the summer? Well, no. On a paper machine, as you can imagine, there's lots of paper dust flying around. I mean, lots right. of paper dust. Tornadoes of paper dust. And in the wintertime, it's not that bad because the machine floor is not that hot. But in the summertime, it's very different because you're sweating. Oh god. So it sticks to you and you come out looking like a snowman. So it's sorry, it's not a paper mill, right? Yeah, it's a paper mill. It's a paper mill. Oh man, paper mills smell like butt. Ours doesn't because we continuously flush out all the gross stuff. There's so. uh yeah, it's like I, I live in Maine, I grew up in Maine, and I drive throughout Maine all the time growing up, and man, you would just know when you were near a paper mill because it was just <laughs> all of a sudden it was just like, man, what if the entire earth just took a dump in my nose right now? And that's how you, that's how you know. Yeah, because um, the paper rots. It's, a, it's like a, almost like a rot. I don't even know what it is because you would imagine paper could rot, but it does. Like you, right. you get paper wet and let it sit well, for a long yeah, time. Yeah, that's what makes sense. wood can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like it, it gets really gross. So we our our facility keeps everything like spotless because we don't want that that type of yeah, good, magma it all smells over. like death. <laughs> yeah, it's Absolutely. really it does. It smells really really bad. <laughs> It's Thank gross. you for calling it schmegma. That's, yeah, I haven't schmegma. heard that word since high school. That was a fun joke <laughs> word for us growing up. <laughs> so, so speaking of of things schmegma. that are, <laughs> there we go. That's a good transition. Speaking of that, we're also joined by George Cam Newton Loftus. How are you, George? I'm good. I'm anticipating a change to George Mac Jones Loftus in the fall. We'll see well, how that goes. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, you know, speaking of things that are bad, I'm joined by George Cam Newton Loftus, but I'm not talking about ah. you. I'm talking about Cam Newton. So I didn't want, a, I didn't want a, to perceive that you yeah. are bad. No, I get it. He had a slight so. hand injury at OTAs. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I expect a speedy recovery. Also, I, like I said, we talked about this a million times. I think COVID really messed him up. So I think he still has a lot to offer. 2015 MVP leader of one of the most potent offenses in the history of football. So I'm excited to see what Cam Newton can produce for us. And if he can't produce, hopefully Mac Jones can produce. I just got a comment, and I'm sorry. I, just, I feel like time is flying by. It feels like not only, like, just not even three minutes ago, we were just recording episode 47 of Frameskip. And here we are recording episode 57. I mean, it, 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 this year has definitely flown by. That's for sure. We're already in June. We're already almost halfway through the whole year. That was an inside joke for absolutely none of our listeners and two of our hosts. And we're never going to talk about no, that's what right. it is. Yeah. That's right. <sighs> but, but seriously, I mean, this year has flown. So I'm good. It is nine bajillion degrees in Maine. I don't know how you're faring in uh, Georgia. I don't know how you're faring in, in good old PA. So, so it, it, it actually has not been too hot here recently, but only because it's been raining like literally constantly. Oh my God, um, I think Maine is like in a drought for 
I think it has been for the past like couple of years, but this is like the most significant it's been, which is just strange to me because normally it, like it rains like a pressure release valve like every like ten days or something during the summer. Right. And everyone complains that it ruins their vacation, but it's really nice to have like <laughs> green trees and stuff. Um, yeah. But it has just been hotter than a crotch here for the last like six days, and I'm starting to lose my mind. How hot are we talking? Like, what what temperature range are you guys in? Probably not my crotch. Probably closer to Seth's crotch. Oh, oh, attempt like number. Um, <laughs> yeah, number. Sorry, when I said hotter than a crotch, not I just, attractiveness. I just well, I just assumed you were talking about crotches. Um, <laughs> I think it was it was about ninety four here today. Oh man, and you guys like, are way hotter than and us. It was like yeah. ninety two yesterday, and it's just it's been a heat an, an upward trending heat wave for the past like five or six days. And it, it has also been very hot here. It has been wow. incredibly humid, which has been like I just I feel like I'm swimming everywhere I go. It's been like low 80s like the last week here, but like I said, it's literally rained like pretty much every single day. So that sounds incredible. It sounds so yeah. hot. Pennsylvania weather swings from like Texas to northern Canada, depending <laughs> on the week. It's it's, it's really hard. <laughs> also, it, it, sorry. Uh, Speaking of hot, I'm recording from an area you guys probably haven't seen before. That's correct. Which is why there's a really cool uh, Return of the Dragon Bruce Lee poster right behind me. <laughs> and on the other side of me, there's an Anna Kornikova poster because I decorated this room in 2005 and I refused to change it. <laughs> so is this the same room, just a different angle? Same room. It's just normally okay. you're looking at the, the back side of my wall. This is the front right. side of my wall. This is uh, like right by the front door. But I've, I got a, okay. I got a dual Monty set up now dual money that's what they're called dual monies yeah <laughs> i really respect the return of the dragon poster thank you you don't respect the anna Kornikova poster i know she never won a major but i mean come on i do not know her oh she was a very tennis i don't want to say good tennis player she was a very tennis player back in the 2000s um, she did I, the tennis well i i am not familiar with much tennis lore oh that was like, I watched football growing up just because it was hard to escape in Maine. But, man, I watched, like, every major tennis tournament. That was, like, how I knew it was summer. Because, like, right at the beginning of summer, tail end of spring, you had the French Open, which was, like, you know, April into May-ish. Like, it, it would fluctuate. But it was usually, I guess, May. There was, like, the qualifying stuff that would happen in April. And then in, like, late June would be Wimbledon. And then, uh, like, back to school, like, last two weeks of August, last week of, or first week of September area, that was uh, the U.S. Open. It's like most of like three of the four major tournaments would happen in like a six month period. And so it was always super fun and exciting. That's like where people move up and down the standings, always like super exciting stuff, especially because it would go from clay at the French open to grass at Wimbledon to hard court at the, at the U S open. So it was always just like very different fields of play with different people being better at certain things. It was, it was exciting to watch. The first word that comes to my mind when thinking about tennis actually is exciting. Oh, thank you. That I, <laughs> I, I'm going to take you at 100% your word. Yeah, I was going to take it your word 110%. So I'm I was going to say Mario. not going to give you a chance to be sarcastic. I'm just going to agree with you. Yes, tennis is very exciting. Um, Indeed. Love, love it. Well, you know, exciting is a good word for, for many situations. And, and so I'm going to use it right now. And, and Seth, you've been playing something exciting. And we've both been playing this, this exciting piece of art. Yeah. It's it's Control, the video game, and yeah, we, we both have been playing it. Seth talked about it a little bit last week, but following him bringing it up, I finally went back and jumped back into it because I booted it up a few months back when I got my PS5 and played like about halfway through it, and then Monster Hunter Rise came out, and that kind of 
kicked me off of it. So I uh, I picked it up again this week and finished it up. And Seth, my understanding is you have also finished said game. Yeah, it's really funny because the night I texted you, or I guess we were in Slack. Yeah, we were in the exact same spot. We were literally identical. I saw your thing saying you beat it. And I was like, oh, I must be really close. I'm just going to stay up and, and beat it because I had the next day off. <laughs> Dude, I was up until 4.30 in the morning. Like, I don't know how you beat it that fast. Because like, at some point, I was like, All right, I'm just going real fast. I'm just going to kill everything and go real fast. And I was still up until 4.30 in the morning. So I was... I Were was you doing, really, like, side stuff? I wasn't doing side stuff, I don't think. Okay. But I didn't, I didn't think I messed around that much. I'm sorry. I haven't finished the game, but I just need to chime in as, like, a objective observer from the side. Yeah. What's amazing is how much Seth was, like, dunking on the game for not enjoying it. So to go from, like, or I What's guess that? I don't I don't say not enjoying it, but like being so perplexed because like I know you really care about story and you were completely yeah. dissatisfied with the way the story is being presented. Yeah. At yeah, a I certain was. point. You were a little and iffy so, on it last week. Yeah. So, oh, to well, go, yeah. so to like do I 180 might be like too strong of a description of what you did. But based on how you were feeling about it last week, I did not think you'd be up until 430 in the morning because <laughs> you had to you had to just turn that next corner, every corner that you came across in that game. So that is. Dude, that's, the, that's really that's really funny to me. Is all once like it's hard to explain because you're right. I remember talking very specifically last week about how I was getting frustrated because the story wasn't playing out. Right, but I think what changed for me is that I the story around Jesse, the main character, in my opinion, is isn't that impressive. Right, it's the world building that they put in the game so the more the world expanded the more i learned about the world the more i fell in love with the game and that's continuing to happen as i'm playing the dlc I just like the more i'm finding about this world is um is I, i'm falling more and more in love with it as as i continue to read and, and you know go through all the audio logs and, and the documents and stuff um i don't know how you feel about it austin because we haven't really talked about it but my biggest gripes of this game are the fact that I think Jesse is um, a boring protagonist. Mm-hmm. I, I think she's a cool design. I think she's got a cool design. But I think she's more of an avatar in this game. Right. Like, right. It's, it's, she, it's not that I dislike her. Actually, I find her very boring. For how good the world is written, I think they, the developers could have given her a little more personality or backstory or something because i i just think she's a very boring character no i agree with you there and i i think the thing is to me there are like facets of her that are interesting like i mean you have her whole like childhood backstory and stuff and like the the, i don't know where we want to take this and we can go as far as we want to but i will let everyone know listening that we're probably going to go into like slight spoiler territory so if you don't want to you know, be spoiled on control. Um, maybe avoid this conversation and I'll put a timestamp in the, in the description. But um, also that's the thing. And none of it makes any sense at all. So, right. But the thing I was going to say, just as far as Jesse goes though, is like you get to the part where you find out that she, like the bureau had already planned her as like a potential future mm-hmm. director. Yeah. Like they, she had, just been on the outside. Like she had no involvement with the bureau. And then suddenly like you find out they've been watching her like since her childhood. Mm-hmm. And so like when you find that stuff out, it's kind of like, well, man, I wish that her as a character, like you could have seen more of like, okay, 
why were they watching her? Like what was so right special about her aside from her like supernatural abilities, I guess, but like, which isn't by the way, the supernatural abilities, as far as I can tell, were never explained that, that yeah. she has and her brother has, she has some ability to like purify the hiss, but that's never explained to us what, what kind of ability yeah. she has. Also, her brother seems to have some sort of like very strong telepathic abilities. Right. Cause when you, when, when you meet her brother, or I guess before you meet her brother, you see the destruction he caused and right. It seems that he can like levitate items and whatnot, almost like she can, but on his own. Yeah, I was going to say, but that I guess that's the difference. We're getting like really into details here, George. So I apologize. <laughs> oh, but, no, like, with I, her... I do not care about spoilers whatsoever. Like as long as it's, if it's Star yeah. Wars or comic like Marvel specifically, even DC, like I'll have to say comic book. If it's Star Wars or comic book spoilers, then I care. But for yeah. something like this, something like I, I, pl- I I'll just say like I played like four to six hours of the game. I really enjoyed it, but it was like really obtuse. And yeah. honestly, it just ran like crap. I have like a launch PlayStation. Oh, 4. Yeah. I don't know what uh, you guys played it on. So it just it ran so poorly that I was like, all right, well, I'm going to forget my time with this game. And then I'm going to come back to it when it's improved on PlayStation 5, I assume. And they gave away the, yeah. the PS5 version. Which you so should, just, which you should, by the way. Yeah. It's really good on PS5. I'm, I'm waiting for it to come back. I'm just curious about like trophies and all that stuff. So. So anyway, to go yeah. back to what I was saying, though, the thing I noticed was that she got her powers from the objects of power, mm-hmm. whereas her brother, like it seemed like he just straight up had powers somehow. It was yeah. kind of just kind of interesting stuff. But I I do wish they had fleshed that out more. Um, there's other stuff, though, that like I'm kind of glad they left vague. Like I kind of like the vagueness of some of it. Like I like that the janitor, you just kind of never find out what's going on with him. Oh, see that it, it drives me nuts. I, and, and like it absolutely like, like I'm really hoping that this game sold well enough for them to make a sequel because I will just carry this to my grave. I'll never get over it. What is going on in this world? Because that's one of the things I love so much about like the Tolkien verse and Star Wars and yeah. like Warcraft and whatnot. Everything has a history. Everything has a story. So, you know, you can look at like if you're curious about anything in any of those universes, you can look up like an entire Wikipedia massive page and go through like deep holes on that. And I wanted to be able to do that in control, but I wasn't able to, because I know this is such a new universe that like, right. That it's just not there. And I'm just like, ah, I need to know, I need to know what's going on with all these things. Um, but yeah, there's my, my biggest gripes were with Jesse's character because you're right. She does. It, there is something interesting there, and when you see that they had been grooming her or keeping an eye on her for a future director, you see like these pictures of her in everyday life. Yeah, and you're like, man, I really wish I would. I could have known more about her character because they they really don't go into detail about her character whatsoever. No, they talk about her childhood, and that's it. They don't talk mm-hmm. about really anything else outside of like the oldest house, aside from her childhood. Yeah. So I mean, and. I haven't played the second DLC at all. I don't know what's in it, but apparently it has something to do with Alan Wake, right? Yes, it's it's Alan Wake focused, so it ties directly into Alan Wake and the ending of Alan Wake. Should I play Alan Wake before I play that expansion? Do you know? I, I don't know because, well, from what I can tell, I think the answer is yes. Okay. Um, it seems canonically, at least, like it it literally picks up like after the ending, so it explains okay. some stuff. 
Um, also, I will say I haven't played Alan Wake, but my roommate in college did, and that was like us sitting together on the couch, like me messing around on my DS, yeah. him playing Alan Wake, but like mostly closing my DS, just to, like watch him play the, <laughs> yeah. just to watch him play the game. Like I, I can't say how the game feels, just because like survival horror is not really my steez necessarily, but um, that game was really fun to watch at the very yeah. least. Um, it's a phenomenal game. Okay. It's, All it's, right. Well, in that case, there's the official rating. For, no, for it's a it's a really phenomenal. really good game. Yeah, I'm I'm planning on playing it after I finish um, DLC here from for, uh, Control. Yeah. Because I just realized when I was playing through Control, I was like, man, I have 100% been sleeping on Remedy. I didn't play Alan Wake back in the day, and I didn't play Quantum Break because I didn't have a PC that could run it, and I didn't have an Xbox. Right. So Control was the first one that I, I jumped into, and I'm like, wow, this is insane. Um, the gameplay is so smooth. It is so good, yeah. And, and good. And it has one of my favorite features, which might be considered cheating, I don't know, but Rockstar always has these features in, these, in their games, which is uh, Snap Aim, yep. where as soon as you pull in the aim button, it snaps the closest enemy. Right. I love that. I love that in games. It just makes it way more smooth and fast. And Well, it's really um, funny you say that because Remedy developed Max Payne 1 and 2 and then Rockstar yep. bought the license to that and then they made Max Payne 3. So that's, that's funny. Um, I did not know that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Remedy made the first two Max Payne games. So. Um, also, yeah, I mean, what, dude, the, the way you're talking about it, like I work in advertising and uh, the way advertising usually works is that like if you have a copywriter and art director from either Sweden or like, you know, like the, the Nordic countries or Brazil, like those are always like, oh, crap, this person's really good. <laughs> you know, like it, it, It's like a super, I want to say positive form of racism, because I don't think that that exists. But it's always just like, oh, think like, oh, crap, this kid is from Brazil. Like, oh, he's good. You know, like, that's usually how it goes. And so it's one of those things where like, I really think there's just something special about like the Nordic countries where like uh, the, this uh remedies in uh finland i believe i think so yeah um and like man quantum break i totally see why people wouldn't like it i think that the gimmick of like your decisions in the game affecting a, a tv show super ambitious and like that needs to be applauded that they tried something completely different i don't think it ultimately succeeded but like the game itself was pretty great like the story like there, there was a. I don't want to spoil it, just because like I think it's actually like a really good science fiction story, and like it does yeah. time travel, which I I think is always just so interesting to see. It's like you give this person the power to go back and forward in time. What do they do with it? And so it's just like it's literally just finding out like one person's biggest tragedy that they'd like to avert or something they'd like to relive. And so like I think that's really personal, so I don't want to ruin that for anyone. But like they just do really special things, you know? <laughs> like there's yeah. right. there's there's something to remedy where like they understand the personalization of details in a way that I don't think a lot of other studios do. This and this game is very special. But um, awesome, what did you think of the gameplay and in, in the outplay? It's phenomenal. I mean, it, it really is. It's it's um. There's just something about it that it makes me think, not in the same way, but I guess just the way it made me feel. It makes me think of Doom, like mm. 2016, just the mm-hmm. way it plays and how smooth and, and I mean, you always, pun intended, you always feel like you're in full control of what you're doing. Like, ah. there's never a situation where, at least in my opinion, where, you know, you're, you're trying to do something, but the controls are fighting you or whatever it may be, or your powers aren't working the way you want them to. I mean, it's literally, to me at least, everything I wanted to do, I could do it. And I yep. knew how to do it instantaneously. And there was nothing, 
you know, gameplay wise that was as a game, as a video game, there was nothing there that was fighting me for, you know, my will to to do whatever I wanted to do. Yeah, it's it's super smooth, kinetic. Um, I really liked that the thing I invested in early, which was the um, launch launch ability became my I just stayed with it the whole (laughs) game and it like decimated enemies. Um, I thought that the ability to add levitation and flying in the game was super ballsy because most games you'll see won't do that because you can break things so easily yeah. with that. But it paid off for them. Um, one of the interesting things that I did in the game was, did you find the rubber duck? The rubber duck? Yeah. The I rubber don't know duck. if I did. What, uh, I might have before I stopped playing like earlier in the so, year. So the rubber duck you find through a secret entrance and you're supposed to levitate up into this window. Hmm. But in the room next to this room, there is just tons of the, of those black suitcases that are everywhere. Right. 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 So I spent, dude, I don't know, because I didn't have Levitate yet. I, was, okay. I knew I wanted to get in this window to find out what it was. <laughs> I spent, I swear to God, an hour and a half grabbing these boxes, levitating them over in front of this window and dropping them <laughs> and the way the physics work in the game the physics are like super overdone oh so god I, yeah so i couldn't just like place them they would drop and, and like fly and roll and yeah so i had to bring in probably i don't know hundreds of them and stack them in a way that they would just randomly fall in a, in a tower so i could climb into this window <laughs> and that's when i found the rubber duck it doesn't give you anything by the way oh my god <laughs> it just teleports and then you have to grab it and it's an object of power but it's cool and that's Maybe one of the things I, did I find it. I don't remember though. That's one of the things I love too about the game is like you find these objects of power and they they have like all these cool abilities and you can read about them and it's very clearly inspired by SCP, the SP universe, which I, right. I said last week. And um, it's super, super cool. The universe they built is super cool, which brings me to the only other thing I want to say about the game, and that is that I think. I've realized that I really dislike video games for long form storytelling because unless they're a huge publisher like Ubisoft that pulled it off with the first few Assassin's Creed's anyway, it's going to be years and years and years until Remedy makes their next game. Yeah. And they leave on like not so much a story cliffhanger, but a world cliffhanger. They do. And you just don't get enough answers. And you're, I'm just going to be like, wanting to know what happens next for so long and i just and you know we're i'm starting to see it more and more like for instance jedi fallen order like we've talked about before is obviously trying to do like a big giant story and their game isn't even announced yet and i i just there's a famously a uh, rpg series that i was playing a little while ago the trails of series yeah they've been telling one story for two decades <laughs> And it's just like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I just but if Remedy keeps pumping out games like this, man, I'm in. I, I love control. I I really don't have anything else to say. I just yeah, go buy it and play it immediately because it's one of the best games I've played in probably the last 10 years, especially the maze, which I know you were you're super into. Dude, I'm not going to spoil that part. I mean, I know we're yeah. talking about spoilers right now, but like I'm I just cannot spoil that level for people that haven't mm-hmm. played it because it, it legitimately and I wanted to read this because Elijah sent this to me and he was like please read this on the show this these are my opinions on the game love you elijah i miss you 
He said, was I right or was I right? Though the game isn't perfect, it infects, infects your mind and makes it something you can't stop thinking about. That moment, of course, he's talking about the maze, is my all-time favorite moment in gaming, and now you see how it was able to beat out Resident Evil 2 Remake as my game of the year for 2019. Um, I mean, Elijah thinks it's his favorite moment in, in gaming, and honestly, it's, it's probably... I don't know if it is my favorite moment, but I, I don't know what my favorite moment would be. But honestly, that that probably is it. It's one of them for me. It's, yeah. it's it really is because and me and Elijah, as longtime listeners know, we very rarely agree on video game opinions. Yeah. But this this game is just very. He's absolutely right. It gets in your mind. The world is super intriguing, um, which I think is why I like it, and I think Elijah yeah. likes it. You know, for the reasons he he likes video games, and. Um, it just comes together as a game. We can both enjoy that like that, but he's absolutely right. The maze level is one of the craziest things. And for mm-hmm. anybody listening, don't look it up on YouTube. Just no, please just, you owe it to yourself to experience it because it you're, you're, you're going to be surprised and it, it's going to be amazing. And well, the build up to it is really good too. I yeah. mean, like the, the story moments that like build up to that, it's just, it works so well. And, um, no, I mean, for me, you know, my last comment on it is I think it's the only Remedy games I've played are Alan Wake and this. I haven't played Quantum Break, although now I really want to just so that I can. It's a Game Pass game, I think, isn't it? It is, it is. super yeah. breezy. Um, yeah. Honestly, the longest parts are like the TV interstitials that happen yeah. between chapters. Oh, and yeah. I, I want to ask you this, George. The yeah. TV that you're talking about, is there like a separate TV show that I have to watch or is it? In it's like, like almost like cutscene, it's, right? it's integrated into the game. It is a separate download if you're playing on Xbox One. It's like that kind of sucks. Like that's it's like an option for you to download. But uh, like at the time, it was a brand new Xbox One. I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. I want to check this out. And so it just sucked. Like d- you know, d- installing the game, which like for some reason just takes forever. It's humongous. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, hey, would you like to install the TV show too? I'm like, hell yeah, I do. Let's let's, let's so let's light this candle. Let's do this. And then it's just like, okay, an additional 35 to 47 gigabytes of download. I'm like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> like, this sucks. So I'm confused. I guess maybe I, I could just look it up. Do I watch the TV show before I play the game? Oh, no, 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 no. So what happens is like you'll play the game and uh, you will make certain decisions in the game. And then like at the end of each chapter, there's like a personalized, I guess, like 15 or 12 to 25 minute uh TV show like filmed with like real like live action real actors oh, okay. who are reacting to the decisions you made in the game. Okay, and so okay. it's got like the guy who played like Littlefinger from Game oh, of Thrones. It's got the guy who voices uh, one of like the three head people from Destiny. He's also in uh, The Wire. I'm sorry, I cannot remember your name. I haven't seen that show in way too long. I need to rewatch <laughs> it because that show is perfect. Uh, it's got like a whole inch. It's got Sean Ashmore, who is, of course, like the, the titular character or not titular, but like the lead character in the game. Right. But it's like them doing like. Sort of playing out the situation you set up based on how you played the previous level. And so it's super interesting and it makes perfect sense based on like how Microsoft was leveraging the Xbox one, you know, right. like originally, like with their messaging. Um but it also, like, one thing it did, it really proved to me that, like, some things are just cooler in video games than they are in real life. Like, you know, you'd see, like, these enemies that were heavily armored in Quantum Break, and, like, they look so <laughs> badass in the game, and then you'd see them in the TV show. I'm like, oh, shut up, <laughs> shut up, dorks. Like, you mean nothing to me. Like, it, it just proved that, like, you really need to sort of accept the medium you're in to tell the story you want to tell, you know? Um, right. It's like, I think that game works way better as a game than it does as the, the live action component that they kind of hodgepodge on. 
but it is super interesting just as like a media experiment. Like I'm not begrudging anyone for liking it. I'm not judging anyone for liking it. I, I think it failed, but I'm really glad that they tried because no one else has ever done yeah. that. Well, and I, I don't know. I, I just need to look it up, I guess, but I don't know if quantum break is in the same universe as control. Obviously Alan Wake, like, like 100% is it's, it's straight. I up believe like it is. Like, I think, I think it's one, but it's just tough because yeah. like time travel is like the main component of quantum break. And so like, I don't know right. if that in theory makes it exist on its own or like if yeah. there's like some relic from quantum break that technically exists in control. Um, right. I really can't, recommend that game enough like honestly even if you just want to like play it on easy just you can burn through it in like yeah. a weekend if you if you do it on easy um right so like, I, I don't i don't I, think like the combat is like a rewarding challenge to like play it on anything but easy like i think you play that game for the story um, right so i looked i looked this up while you were talking george and it says someone answered on on reddit quantum break made reference to control on a couple of occasions one of the control quantum ripple if Events will cause conspiracies to emerge related to a Bureau of Altered World events. The words Altered World event and AWE appear in other points of the game as well. Altered World events mm. are an important plot element in control, as is the Bureau that deals with them. That's so apparently, it's not as interconnected as Alan Wake, but it does take place in the same universe, cool. yeah. um, which is also on, it says it in the control wiki. So, Well, and I'm astounded to and we'll move on after this, but I'm astounded at like how much they like answered questions for Alan Wake. And I haven't even gotten to the Alan Wake DLC, um, but in control, there was like a document I picked up and it was like, Oh, that explains literally what happened in that entire game. Like why all that like supernatural stuff happened. Like it literally explains the whole thing in like a few sentences in a, in a document you pick up in control. And it's like, mm-hmm. man, that is so cool. So no, I, I just adore that game, and, and you're right. People should play it. If you haven't played it, please just just play it, especially if you have a, a Series X or a PS5. It's absolutely gorgeous. Also, I do have one last thing I want to say. If you're going to put the ability to change costumes in your game, <laughs> make sure that more than one of them look cool. Because yeah. I like. have you looked at the costumes you can unlock? I like the director one. Man, I, did, I like no, the final I, one. The you games unlock. I've been playing lately, I completely agree with Seth. Where it's just one of those like I'll purposely use like what I think is worse stuff in certain games just because it looks cooler. And I'm like, oh man, yeah. like I can't let my character go through this world looking so <laughs> crappy. Like I just refuse to do it. You get a really cool costume and control from the mirror side quest. Yeah, you do. But and that's the only one I use now because I think all the other ones, except for the civilian, which is the the canon like yeah. the first one look terrible dude the, i love the one that's like the the p7 outfit it's just yeah. like you're a prisoner like why are yeah. you gonna who's gonna wear this shout why out even make that? shout out to ubisoft they were the first developers that i saw fix this problem um mm-hmm. but you could have like certain armor equipped in like an assassin's creed or in uh, immortals phoenix rising but you could apply the look of a different armor to it so you get the stat boost from one but the visual aesthetic from another yeah. I'm sure, like, I, I feel like that has to be a thing in Destiny by this point. You know, like, certain games yeah. I bet are doing this. Like Transmog. Yeah, yeah, but the first time I saw it was in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I think. Or maybe Origin, I can't remember. Uh, and that's just such a cool idea. Where it's just like, yeah, give me the thing that yeah. I think looks the coolest, but give me the stat of, like, the better armor that looks dorky as hell. Well, thankfully, Control, the, the outfits aren't stat-based, so it's a... Uh... It you know makes it, it a little simpler li- to choose. Literally an aesthetic choice, yeah. 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 So, but anyway, um, 
yeah, I absolutely adore Control. I'm still playing it. Obviously, Seth is as well, so I'm sure we'll talk about it more once we get through the DLC. So, um, But George, I hear you've also been playing an amazing game. I hope you consider it amazing. But Yeah, I yeah, I do. I do. Um, before, <laughs> I, before I talk about the game, I think you can guess based on what we were just talking about, but I'm curious what you guys, like what's like the oldest piece of like media or art that you guys like consuming? Like, is there like an album from like the eighties or nineties that you will still listen to from start to finish today? Is there a movie? Like, I, I know like you guys are both big star Wars fans, but I mean, like, do you still like not check your phone when you're watching star Wars or like, are there certain points where you don't pay attention to star Wars so you can do something else before you come back to the parts you really like? Like, is there something like uninterrupted that you guys have from like a different time period from like a different era of art consumption that like you still consume it today the way you did when you were younger that's rough um that's a good question i would say Um, it's not that i mean it's 21 years old chrono cross for me one of of my favorite games of all time that's cool i can i do that with that's this that's the sequel to trigger right yes i absolutely decimate chrono cross when i play it i don't lose a single time is it is it better than Chrono Trigger? That's hard and very debated. Online. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> I really just want a yes or no answer. I'm hosting this segment. Damn it! Yes or no is it better than Chrono Trigger? <laughs> thinking. I, Do it, it, make it, the blood go, Seth. I wish listeners could see how hard Seth was thinking. Like yeah, his fingers are on like the hard. middle of his eyebrow and everything. His eyes are closed. He looks so dis- like so distressed. He's literally eating his own fingers. Okay, uh, no. I believe the he's, answer's no. he's defecating in his chair right now. <laughs> uh, his the, his, his the wonderful partner no. looks so concerned. Her hand is on the phone. She's about to call nine one one. I wish you could see how concerned Seth was about such a question. God, the, audio is great. You can no. lie. You can lie so easily about what people are doing. It's not better than Chrono Trigger, but I think it's almost as good. Okay. All right. Cool. So, so Chrono Cross is like your closest equivalent to consuming it the same now as you did back, back when you yes, first. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Austin, do you have something that you consume similarly now, like without modern day distractions from from your past? Uh. I don't know if I have an answer to that one, George. I, I'm, I mean, I've thought about it. I, I don't really go back and revisit too much stuff um, from my childhood that much. Okay. If, if there is anything, I would say probably video game wise, probably Ape Escape. Like okay. that game I just go back to and I just, you know, I, I love playing that game just as much as I did when I was a kid, even though it's like just janky and it's, you know, it's. It's certainly not aged super well, but mm-hmm. um, I love going back to that one. And then movie-wise, I'll just say 2001. Oh, really? Well, that's, um, that's, oh. that's cool. I didn't know. That movie is just a never-ending masterpiece for me. That's really cool. Does, I, I didn't know you were a fan. Yeah. Does the Power Rangers movie count? <laughs> I think it, it might. I mean, that movie is that that so short. You don't really have time to be distracted when you're watching it. <laughs> Hey, Digimon, Digimon season one and two. Those are good ones too for me. No, there's a lot. There's a lot of filler after like episode 28 of Digimon. I know because I'm like right around episode 28 of season (laughs) one, and I'm just like, wait, they're they're at another diner. Like, there's another Digi diner that someone has to like work off. (laughs) That's where the character development happens, man. God, oh, oh, I'm Matt. I get angry all the time. I take it out on my brother TK, but he (laughs) does a really good Matt impression. Thank you. Oh, Matt. 
No, it was a terrible TK. <laughs> yeah. I lost it. I'm sorry. I well, your, your mat was, was very good. I yeah, know. That was actually spot on. I think it was a good mat. It was also a good Gabumon, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They're the same a, person. Was it? I was just joking. I thought it. I, I think you're right. I thought it just sounded like a good Gabumon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. Maybe not. I don't know. Continue. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so, the reason I bring this up, I've been playing Mass Effect recently, and I really mm-hmm. struggled with my first like probably two hours with mass effect just like going back i really wanted it to be like the first time i played it and i know that's a super tall order to put on a, a digital blu-ray disc full of 15 year old data to be like hey make me feel younger again like i know that's like an impossible thing to to do to in an in inanimate object but i was doing it in the first couple hours i really struggled and then something clicked i think it was Probably the mission where I was going through was it Cora's Den, Cora's Den, like the little bar in the warden um, right. on the Citadel, where I was just back in it, and I've just been pumping in two to three hours a night into that game, not even playing the game, like literally just going to different planets and like reading their bios. Last night I was yeah. super curious, so I like visited every single planet in the solar system, like in the local cluster. And I was just like, how many humans are there? Like, in this version of Mass <laughs> Effect, how many humans are currently existing? And so on on Earth, there was obviously just like a huge amount. But like outside of Earth, there was 8 million people living on all the various planets. You know, like, it was just wow. me doing like the math. And I was just like adding up the calculus. And I was just doing it. I was just like, this is such a cool thing. Like, this is such a cool realized world that I, I really felt like I was in someplace else. And it was so right. weird because like you play that game and it plays like trash. I'm really sorry. I love the original it Mass does. Effect. I I think it's probably my I don't like two that much. Like I think two is like probably like the smoothest story. Three is my favorite Mass Effect. I think one is like I don't play any of the Mass Effect games because of like their, their gameplay. Um right. and so like because of that, like just looking at them like objectively being like what do these games allow me to do? Which one does it most effectively? I'm like, okay, three does allows me to do like the coolest, most epic stuff. So that's my number one. One, I think is just like such a great introduction to this weird alien universe. And then two is like an oceans 11 movie. Like it's like straight up like a heist movie that they turned into a video game. And like, that's really Mm -hmm. cool. But it's also like, it's so dependent on like being a third person shooter. I'm like, well, that's the least interesting part to me is the third person shooting. Like I like all the interpersonal relationships, but there's just that they really sort of drag that game out through uh, the gameplay. And it's like, that's why Mass Effect 2, great game, but my least favorite of the Mass Effect games. And like Mass Effect 1, man, it plays like trash. And you can really tell when you're holding a PlayStation 5 controller because you want it to be so much better than it is. But it's just 2007 just punching you in the face all the time, just reminding you of all the shortcomings. But it also reminded me of how excited I was to play that game the first time. And for the... And like I said, it took three hours, but I finally felt like I there's that old expression like you can't go home again. I finally felt like I was going home again. Three hours right. in Mass Effect. And it has been so much fun to go back to that. Now, what, do you, what do you think was the actual catalyst for that? I don't know what it was. I think it was like finally getting the full crew. Like, I think Caden and Ashley are like the worst. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like, they're absolutely. just so they're just they're like, they're quite literally forced on you. But like everyone else is like oh, hey, we've heard about this one person. You might want to check them out. And, like, I can't remember if you have to discover Rex, if you have to discover Garrus. I assume you do, but it didn't feel like I did. Like, 
it felt like I was like, you know, handed like a dossier on someone. I'm just like, oh man, I want to go see what this person's about. Like there was just something about like, as the choice opened up in the game. And I remembered like, oh yeah, this is a game about me being in this weird place. It's not about being told what to do. It's about being given an option of things to do and me deciding what to prioritize. And that, I, I think, like, when that moment clicked, when I remembered that that was the point of the game, that was when I was most excited and most happy to, to be back in Mass Effect. Cool. I think the game is actually, like, a lot harder than I remember. Which Sometimes is weird, because I, I, I have played it on Insanity. Time. I played it on Insanity <laughs> and, like, didn't have a problem with that on PlayStation 3. But I'm playing it on Normal, and there was, like, some issues where I'm just like, oh, God. Like, I don't know if it's because I selected... They have, like, two leveling systems where... You could do like the traditional 60 point leveling system or go to level 60, or you could do like a truncated level 30, which I think is what they did in Mass Effect 2 and 3. And I selected that because I'm like, yeah, just make it easier for me, whatever. But like, I'd get to some missions and I'd be like, oh man, I remember, I know how I want to resolve this. I need to charm <laughs> them, but I don't have that option yet because I'm not high enough level. And then I'd just like, all right, so I'm going to back out of this mission, go to another place. And then I come across some debris and I'd be like, oh, your electronics level isn't high enough to hack this. I'm like, well, this sucks. I feel like I can't do anything in this great big universe. And so I was just like grinding (laughs) with like weird, like I was trying to find, like trying to remember the most inconsequential missions that I could just like knock out of the way and just get experience points. And then I got to play it like that last night. I got to end what would have been a bloodbath, like completely peacefully. I got to just explore Turian debris, like on a planet. I got to hack into like weird, locker crates on like another planet i got to fight thrasher maws completely fairly like i didn't like even on uh even on normal it's just like man this is kind of a challenge uh yeah. in the mako but man that game is just i don't know if you'd love it now if you never played it before but there's something very special about going back to the mass effect universe that i'm just enjoying 110,000 percent i definitely think it'd be hard to like jump into that game now for the first time like not having played them before, not having that nostalgic kind of lens. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, I know for a fact that, you know, I might be in a similar situation as you at first where like, it's kind of hard to get into, but I know that I would eventually fall in love with that game all over again. But I, I do think it'd be hard to get people like into it that had never played mass effect one before. It's super tough. Cause there's like a scale of escalation, right? Where it's just like, this was the first game through the wall to do so many interesting things that were then, sort of mimicked by other games and like it all it works like movies like i understand you just said 2001 is like one of those like perfect things to you but like how many movies have done what 2001 did you know and so it's like if you see all these sort of like imitations is it as interesting to see the original i I think that's up to each person like i'm not going to sit here and tell you you need to consume the the genesis of this idea to appreciate the later interpretations of this idea like that's not like art doesn't need rules like who, who am i to tell you how you should be enjoying your things um but it's like i don't like pulp fiction was ripped off so much in the 90s and so like if someone enjoys something that is clearly based on pulp fiction do i need to like force them to watch pulp fiction to fully appreciate like no that doesn't sound fun like just let people enjoy things but at the same time it's like man this game is like the 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 seed like the genesis of so many different ideas in gaming that it's just it's so nice to just go back to like the source of it all and be like, Oh yeah, this was where this idea started that just completely disseminated across the, the gaming landscape. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been great going back. I feel like I've been talking way too long about a 15 year old game. And I no, you're good. I mean, I, I do want to go back and play it at some point. I, I, um, mass effect is one of my favorite 
trilogies of all time one of my favorite game series so mm-hmm. i do want to pick up the the collection at some point and 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 play through them again because they're they're just such good games i mean like you said it's all about choice it's all about like getting you into that world and making you feel like you really are a part of it and those games just succeed so well at, at doing that so um it's really yeah. nice i've been rereading the codexes too man like the, 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 <laughs> sorry not the codexes the codices is the plural and like it feels like i'm rereading an old comic man like it's just super fun to be like oh yeah the elcor what are they all about oh yeah the the right. bolus like what what are those little slime balls up to like it's just everything about that universe is so impressively like well thought out and there's so many dialogue options where like you'd be like why can't you do this and they're like well because of this and they just like list off 10 reasons you know and like they were talking about like uh, i was talking with tali about like the gap and trying to have like a debate about like free will basically and it was just like oh man this is such a it's so cool to have like a mini philosophy class like just happening in like a choose your own dialogue wheel option right. video game where you're right next to the drive core of some you know <laughs> fake spaceship that can go silent for two hours like it's it's just uh man everything about that game is so time stamped to 2000 like it was the future of 2007 i think that's what makes it so interesting is to go back to some skeleton's version of the future like that it's just that's just dope like it, it's so cool for sure all right guys so before we wrap it up i do want to have a quick little discussion on the future of e3 because e3 is coming up i believe the first kind of shows or conferences or whatever they're even calling them this year since they're i'm pretty sure everything's all virtual if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. um they start this weekend so at the time that this podcast goes up it'll be like tomorrow so saturday and sunday um but i just kind of want to talk about the future of e3 obviously last year because of covid um we didn't really have an e3 there was some e3 somewhat kind of stuff going on um it just wasn't really the same i think we had like a short little kind of show from microsoft about the uh, series x at some point and they showed some games but just wasn't really the same atmosphere and it kind of seems like they're trying to bring that back a little bit this year um again not in person but they have like shows scheduled for saturday and sunday and monday and tuesday and so you know you have this clump of different um developers or and publishers and whatever it may be all kind of putting those new games out there in one time frame and um which i don't think many people saw coming after last year i think a lot of people last year were like yeah e3 is dead and it seems like it's actually a little stronger than it was last year this time um but i'm just curious what this means for the future i mean do you guys have any opinions on whether there will be an in-person E3 again. I know Sony, again, this is like the third year in a row, they're not showing up. So um, that's a little a little unique, but I was just kind of curious to hear your thoughts. It's really interesting, at least from like a United States perspective. Like I understand the US has like a lot of access to vaccines and a lot of people are, have been vaccinated. And so because of that, there's been like this sense of optimism, at least in, in the States. I can't speak to other countries just because I'm, you know, stateside here. Uh, but there's been like this overwhelming sense of just like we need to return to normal. And like this E3 lineup feels like a return to normalcy. Um, at least in terms of like the amount of content being delivered. I really think uh, like in Maine, it was illegal to, for places to sell like to go alcohol. And I worked at a restaurant like the last year. Because I couldn't get an advertising job, um, because no one was hiring. Because there was a, a global pandemic, you guys might have heard of it. Um, but they were doing like to go alcohol. Like finally, like bars could sell like beers in like plastic cups and just like give that to people. 
And it's one of those things, like they did that as like an emergency, you know, measure for restaurants, like make more money to sell to go food. But like, there's no way you can put that genie back in the bottle. And like E3 used to be such like an exclusive event that I really think the pandemic has really democratized and decentralized, like, you know, these old infrastructures of, of like the gaming, uh, I don't know, like officialness. Like I, I, I can't, right. I don't have the language for it, but like it used to seem like so special and so discreet and so exclusive. And like that, I feel like has just completely gone away with the pandemic. Like, this, like there's no reason for this not to be accessible to so many people. And so like I think there's something so incredibly exciting about the future of gaming and summer happening at the same time. Like usually E3 happens right around the time summer break starts for schools. And like there's something so cool about like being done with classes and just seeing what's coming to your video game consoles and the work all summer to make money so you can buy games that are coming out this fall. And so I think the future of E3 like I think there has to be a games presentation in the summer. I don't know if it sticks to the same structure, but there was something really exciting last year about like, you know, one week Ubisoft was doing stuff and then the next week EA was doing right. stuff. And then like, there was just like a constant sort of like rolling presentation of stuff to look forward to something to distract us during like the worst months of the pandemic. That's my two cents. What do you guys think? Um, so I am of a very different mind than I was last year. in that I think E3 is pretty much, done for um i look at this lineup and i don't get excited for much i'm interested in uh the square enix show and the bethesda show and the bandai namco show but the rest of it i'm like like like, there's a verizon spot on monday (laughs) you know and in television and i'm like i you know i'm good I really think E3 stopped becoming so important once G4 died. Is yeah. that that's my personal take on it? Like, and I don't think COVID is necessarily responsible for E3 becoming less important. I just think maybe it sped it up a little bit. Uh, yeah, because I think yeah. Sony deciding to pull out was huge, and then didn't EA pull out shortly after that? They did. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I guess there's. To, to to defend what I was saying just now, I feel like there's two different things. Like there's the actual technical official E3 event, yeah, and then there's like the E3 vibe, which I think I was defending, which yeah. is just like video game presentations happening middle of June, which is just like oh yeah, like this is when we got to roll out and and you know promote our stuff that's coming for the rest of the year. Like I don't think that's going away. I think like the actual official Entertainment Electronic Expo happening at the staples center in los angeles like i've been to an e3 it was strictly fine it was mostly (laughs) a miserable experience i got to play cool games i got to like see a whole bunch of cool stuff and it was great but it was also like i don't don't know like just sort of like looking at your budgets being like why are we spending so much money on like a fake decrepit building from uh the order 1886 like why are we doing this couldn't we just like pump out a demo or like you know get like an influencer to just like host a, a stream of this game like isn't that just the same amount of information going out. And like, there's something I'm going to miss about that. Like I miss like the romanticism of, you know, building physical things to celebrate these digital things. Like, I think that's really cool. And I'm going to be sad when that goes out the window. But like, as for like the, the spirit of E3, I guess is like what I think will never die. Whether the actual exposition of E3 dies. Like, yeah, yeah it probably will. No brand well, lasts see, forever. I think 
two things went hand in hand, which was the rise of fan centered conventions and the downfall of E3 because right. you're right. Like why are we spending all this money on this stuff? That's not going directly to our consumers when PAX East is not centered around the press. It's directly going to our consumers. There's still going to be press reporting on things we do there, but we can put all our money there and, and get more people, more eyes on, on things directly. As opposed to like this, I feel like E3 was always just like a peacock competition. You know, it was like, hey, look how cool our stuff is. But hey, look how cool our stuff is. You know, and right. it was it was always just a very competitive vibe. And right. uh, I don't know. I just like I said, I'm gonna I'm I'm interested to see what Square Enix does and Bethesda and Bandai. But other than that, I don't know, man. Yeah. Because I just first off. There's, there's nothing really coming out in the immediate vicinity huge that, that interests me that I need to see immediately. But do we, is, has EA announced anything? I don't know if they even have anything planned. I mean, they're not on here at all. Well, they, had, they, had which... a, they had a presentation last year. Like I assume they usually yeah. do. It's also, like, but it's one of those things where it's like, this is the thing. Like, I don't care about the actual E3 trademark. You know, like I don't care right. about that. But I, care, I but I care about, right. like, you know, like, June is, like, a perfect month for Nintendo to host, like, a treehouse event, you right. know? It is a perfect month for EA to be like, hey, we want to talk to you for an hour about what's coming out. Because, like, last year they did, like, the Squadrons reveal, right? Like, they did right. Rocket yeah. Arena, which was whatever. Um, but they talked about, like, some, <laughs> they talked about some, like, exciting stuff. And, like, you know, it was over in, like, 40 minutes. And it was over in 40 minutes because they weren't presenting to a room of 250 people. Like, they got to craft, like, a completely bespoke digital experience, which I think was probably just as effective as having like an in-person presentation. Like, yeah. I'm not going to miss that stuff. I went to a PlayStation experience in 2015 and like, that was awesome, you know, um, because it was, it just like allowed demos. But like, honestly, if, if Sony wanted to charge 25 bucks for me to get access to 30 demos for, you know, a, a week long yeah. period, like I'd be just as open to that as I would be, to go to an actual physical place, you know, like, well, and I think that's the way things should go personally. I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I really don't care about like E3 trademark. Like I, that's just, that's not what I, I care about. What I care more about is kind of the atmosphere surrounding this time. You know, I, I, I all will always remember, um, you know, there were a few summers I went up and visited Seth and Elijah and we just, hung out and watched E3 together for like mm -hmm. a span yeah. of three days. It was and awesome. like, um, you know, I, I never have been to E3, so I don't really care if it's in person or not. It's more so for me, just the kind of community around it and the conversations it creates. And it was, you know, it was, only cool, those... in, it was only cool in person because there was literally no one in the Vita section. So I got to play every <laughs> Vita demo completely unimpeded by a, an absolutely disinterested press audience. That's, the, even, only, that's the only reason E3 was cool. <laughs> not even Vita game developers were there. That's I mean, it kind of felt like that. Like I had a question for one game. There was one, some game where you like accidentally drank drugs and like, you had six oh hours God. to live and it was like a choose your own adventure story. And I just wanted to ask a developer a question. <laughs> I couldn't find anyone. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I won't write this article. I was planning yeah. like, oh, whatever. It's fine. Um, but I mean, the, my point is, though, for me, it's more about like the idea, the concept of like having all of these kind of showcases, you know, in the summer. Like you said, I think it's a perfect time. Um, I hope that that stays even if E3 goes away, which 
I don't know. I don't have an opinion on whether it's going to stay or not. I don't think it's going to go back to in person, though. I think it's going to I, I think it's going to stay digital if they continue to, um, you know, keep E3 trademark, you know, well, E3 as a It sucks because like it's such a weak argument. We're like, oh, it's too expensive to some people to cover yeah. this. I'm like, all right, well, like, then what's the point? Like, why would you right. even have this if it's too expensive for people to cover it? Like, why do you have to make money on like an exposition where you're showing off stuff? Like, why does anyone really have to make money off this? Like, shouldn't, right. shouldn't the ad revenue you generate, shouldn't that cover literally everything? Because this is like a free advertisement for game developers. Like why, why are people losing money on this? But didn't, doesn't this company get like 50% of their yearly revenue? I would assume E3? so just because of the name E3. So like, you don't have to call it E3, <laughs> kill the trademark, screw it. Like make Jeff Keeley the czar of, of summer game <laughs> reveals like that's fine whatever yeah i'm just saying summer like there's something really special about summer before too deep into summer like you know about yeah. two to three weeks into june where there's just like oh man i still have enough time to to hit all my plans for the summer there's something really special about this time of the year where you know you're like oh i will do that thing to the yard i will build that greenhouse because you still have time to do it you're not going to but you still technically have time to do it you know there's just some sort of a spirited optimism in the air that's just like yeah man like let's talk right. about the future this is a time of renewal it's a time of growth it's a time of abundance let's talk about what makes everything awesome and i think e3 is perfect for that again e3 not trademark just like lowercase e3 yeah. just like the spirit of the convention i think right. has to survive because i think it's a spirited time of renewal this is when you got to talk about stuff well and the thing i have to say this is really my my last big point is you know and like I said, I think this is going to be the case moving forward. I think it's going to be all digital showcases and whatever it is, which I think works well because it's it's forward facing. It's facing the consumer. Um, you know, anybody can access it. I think it's just a, a super easy way to do it. My thing is that uh, in the past, at least a lot of these live showcases had a tendency to like have super poor pacing or just from yes. a presentation standpoint, just not they just weren't very good. That was the reality. And I get it because it's it was facing more so the businesses and the the press and not Ubisoft, so much famously every year right. terrible conference. Well, that felt more like a like an investor call. Like right. like an exactly. or like not a call, but like a reaffirmation like no, we're doing stuff. Like we know you gave us a whole bunch of money. We yeah. promise we're working on stuff. <laughs> Check out all the stuff we're working on. It's it's funny you say that cuz like 2018 Sony, I bought tickets to see that or I didn't buy tickets. I signed up for tickets to see that in a movie theater. Yeah, uh, the, I did that the, before. Yeah. The AMC theater in San Francisco yeah. was giving away tickets. And like, you got this awesome like prize package with like, you know, like a collector's cup oh, and like stickers cool. and like a, a 10% off PSN coupon and stuff. Like it was super cool. You showed up, you got, even got like a lanyard to yeah. make it seem like you went to E3. That and I just got funny. to watch. That was like the, the Sony presentation where they had like the orchestra in the pit. And they were doing like the music live the to War. each oh, demo. Oh, started with yeah. God of War, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was God of War. Yeah. I think they. I think that was where they announced like Resident Evil Seven. Mm -hmm. That was like, a good year. Yeah, it was super, super awesome, and it was so weird because like that was such a good way to watch that. And then the next year was when they did like the the walkthrough of like each of the sets from like which is terrible. No, yeah, but like awful. like that seems like the coolest possible in person presentation you could do. You're literally transporting right. these people to the worlds of the games. You're like you're making them understand the spaces that they're about to occupy for 40 hours through a digital space. You're compressing time and space. Like that's awesome. It just sucks on like a digital screen, man. Like yeah. you gotta understand that. Like 
you can present that to people, you can present that to the world's press, but that is not how you can sort of uh, package that for like a digital audience. That's not yeah. how you do it. No, You're right. But it's super cool for press. Like they will write about like I got to see the house that you know you start in at the beginning of Ghost of Tsushima. Like I've seen that space. It is it is real. It is lived in. Like like that's like great stuff for fodder for for written entertainment. But that is just not how you sell a, a YouTube video, man. Like for sure. Yeah, so my my hope is though that you know if we really are in a digital space now when it comes to game showcases or conferences or whatever you want to call them, I hope that these companies learn from each other. I mean, mm-hmm. Microsoft, I think in the past year has done pretty well with theirs um, that I've seen, just from like an entertainment pacing production standpoint. It's like you know, here's this game, all right. Here's this game, all right. Here's this game, and that just to me. That's the best way to do it. I like it when they just show the game, tell us a little bit about it. I don't want to sit there listening to some guy talk about the game for 20 minutes. I want to see the game. Yeah. Well, and and Microsoft did really well with that. And Nintendo does pretty well with that too, with Nintendo Direct. Also, so. dude, the Microsoft is going to get a lot tighter because now that they're sharing a stage with Bethesda, they all of a yeah. sudden have fewer announcements to make. Bethesda doesn't have to fill up like an entire presentation block. So like that's exciting that they get to at least join their 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 announcements like that's something i was gonna say sony has the ability to for some reason simultaneously both make the best digital presentations and also the worst i've ever seen <laughs> it's funny it sucks because like uh, uh, sorry like, no, all going. their state of plays for the last two years have been terrible it, which yeah. is so funny because like they also really like they could be so good like i think nintendo mm-hmm. has like sort of occupied like the like the weird uncle who means well sort of personality where they're just like, Hey, I know about this really cool thing. Let me tell you about it in an uncool way. Like, I, I think they do like a really good job at like yeah, you're right. monopolizing <laughs> that. We're just like, dude, I really care about what you have to say. I just like kind of hate the way you say it, but also I hate the way you say it so much. I secretly have come around and love the way you say it. Like there's, there's something so like charming and disarming about the way Nintendo decides to present its games. And even when they present like a completely mediocre game, you're like, oh man, that delivery was so weird and mimetic that like I'm into it. Like I'm going to make fun of this, but also like, man, I'm going to remember this day that you talked about this game is releasing forever. And like, there's something so boring and sterile about the way Sony does it in State of Play. Like it feels like the worst possible version to like, like when you're on a plane, like they're doing like the safety video. Like it feels like I want to pay attention to an airplane safety video more than I want to pay attention to like the, the greater structure of like a State of Play. Like, that it, it, there's no personality. There's it, it's just so cold and dead and boring when they do state of plays. Like they need to find like a better voice. Like they they don't have an identity when they present, and I find that most frustrating about Sony because Nintendo has an identity. I don't know if I love it, but like they have a personality for me to latch onto. Microsoft is all business, and like that's at least yeah. something. Like they're smooth talking salesmen, you know, just like selling me on everything they're talking about. Sony has like the product I want to be most excited about, but like in their digital presentations, I'm just not like, there's just, there's nothing for me to latch onto. It's so, it's so boring. Well, and I mean, you bring up a good point. When I watch their presentations their state of plays or whatever it is, I mean, I feel like I'm watching just like an entity, like present this game to me. It's like just this really weird space where I feel like there's no personality or, like really any effort, any style, you know, to, to 
be PlayStation, I feel like. And there's yeah. there's so much room for uh, that. God, what was his name? Who was the dude who was in charge of PlayStation, like in, in marketing uh, in for PlayStation 3? Like that old white Jack guy? Trenton? No, oh. no, like the fake personality dude they have. Uh, Kevin Butler. Kevin Butler, yeah. They need, like, yeah. Yeah. Not, I'm not even <laughs> saying him. They just need someone to fill his shoes. Like, they need, like, a coherent voice to like get people excited because like i guarantee if they had something like that i would get excited for games i'm not normally excited about but like it really just feels like these games are like announcing themselves and not in like an interesting way right. you know like when iron man vr was announced that should have been like a way bigger deal than it was yeah i'll be honest i i know it's like a, a, a weird thing to say i really think it's jim ryan's playstation i just don't vibe with it i don't like it Ever since he took over, man, things have gotten weird, and it's lost that fun Sony aspect. I'm like, starting to agree with you because it feels yeah, like it feels like PlayStation wants to be like a more bespoke experience. Yeah, and like that's fine, but like they're not even selling me on their bespoke experience. Whereas, like, remember, like, Microsoft Rip- is like a drummer; like it, it just wants to hit everything. <laughs> you know, they're just like, yeah. let me make as much noise as possible, and hopefully, we can do some cool stuff. Like that's like a drummer's attitude. And it's like Sony is just like the guitar player is just like, if I miss a single note, I'm going to kill myself. And I'm like, well, that's not fun. Like, that's way too stressful <laughs> yeah. for me to get excited about. Like, think about like right up until Jim Ryan, we were still getting those awesome commercials. And they, they may have come out since then, but they haven't been as notable with all like the PlayStation characters. Yeah. Remember them? Like all those crazy, yeah. awesome commercials and stuff that you used to get. And you really felt like you were part of an ecosystem with PlayStation. And now... It's like, wow, what are we, what are we doing? They're in like a really awkward space. It's funny, I think it's man. Lost its identity. Like yeah. working, really working in advertising, it's funny because I feel like a lot of brands have lost it. Like I feel like there was just something so like personable about like the early two thousands and like you know t- early two thousand tens in particular. But now, like since the rise of influencer culture, like it's just so hard to like predict like who could be this uh, this the steward of this brand. You know, just because like anyone could be the next steward. You know, like. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like Ninja became incredibly popular. It's like, who the hell is this guy? He just plays video games all day. Like, it wasn't like let's create a character to be the voice of this brand because all of a sudden a new, more relevant voice could pop up on Twitch the next day. Like, I, I feel like that has something to do with it. Like, I'm a junior and like mid-level copywriter. It's, it's like take my advertising experience with a grain of salt. But like, I feel like that has to have something to do with it. You know, the unpredictability, the volatility of just. Uh, leadership I, I guess like amongst like hobbies you know like as a business it's just mm-hmm. so unpredictable that you just don't know where to invest money because you don't know when the next like cash cow is coming from right and it sucks because like man that little psp kid was awesome kevin butler was <laughs> oh, awesome yeah. like marcus I, psp yeah marcus that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right i just know him as the role models kid who is just like yes. <clears throat> you know the kid who realized that kiss was jewish i'm like oh yeah a good kid like yeah no, it's not yeah. anti-Semitic at all. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so final bets then. Is E3, I'm going to ask two questions. Is E3 back in person next year? Yes or no? No. No. Okay. Uh, when, no, I, there, there will be something like E3. I don't think it's like dead, dead yet. Uh, but I think, like, it's just one of those things where like, okay, like EA pulled out of E3 two years ago and they had like the EA experience, but it happened the same week as E3. So is that not the same thing as there being an E3? Yeah. You know, like, I think there's going to, I think there always needs to be stuff that presents during the first few weeks of June. Because that is, like, such an exciting time. I agree with that. But, For like, now, will anyway. the trademark of E3 persist? That I'm less, you know, 
uh, optimistic about, but I think there's, I think we're always going to have video game news to talk about right. every second of weekend of June. <laughs> well, that was, yeah. I mean, you answered my second question. I was going to ask, do you think E3 is itself is back next year? And I think so. I think it'll be back next year. I just don't, I don't think it'll be in person and I, I think it'll still be a little different. So I, I think it's going to get smaller and smaller until yeah, like, we yeah. still, we still have Kmart, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like one or two. Yeah. There's a couple. Yeah. <laughs> So guys remember right. aims that lasted for a while. <laughs> I did want to hit briefly the, these two uh, write-ins we had, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up fully. But um, nature who tagged us on Twitter and asked, what's your most anticipated E3 announcement? And why is it breath of the wild Two, the sequel to the 10 out of 10 greatest game of all time, breath of the wild. Hey, Austin, can you do me a favor? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine a gun pointed at your head? Sure. Is there any breath of the wild Two announcements happening? Absolutely not. Seth, can you do really? me a favor? Seth, can you I do me a favor? So. Yeah. Can you imagine a gun at your head? Is there any Breath of the Wild 2 announcement happening at E3? Yeah, I think we're going to get like two hours of gameplay. Really? Yeah. Damn, that's so exciting. Everyone's so different. <laughs> I don't care. I don't think uh, Breath of the Wild was very good. I don't, think we're, I, don't, I don't think we're seeing anything. I think we're I more likely so. to see new hardware than we are Breath of the Wild 2. Didn't they announce Breath of the Wild 2 like three years ago? Uh, 2019. Two years ago, yeah. So I I really don't think so. I don't know. I think we'll see it this year. I just don't think we'll see it at E3. We're gonna see the Switch Pro for sure. I agree with that. Wait, at E3? Like, we're you think we're gonna see it like? Well, whatever Nintendo's E3 presence is. Sure, sure, sure. Sorry, when I say E3, I don't mean like trademark E3, but I'm saying like in the next like two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um. Um, That's that. Yeah, I I agree too. Just because I think if they do have hardware, they need to get in front of it. But I don't think Breath of the Wild, even though that would be like a that that's like the reason to release like new hardware. I think there would probably be like a, a Nintendo Direct to sort of like cement the whole idea of like Zelda's anniversary. And like, I don't think no. we're getting, I don't think we're getting a Zelda anniversary next week. I think we're getting a Zelda anniversary yeah. in the fall before like a, a Black Friday release. Here's here's my my biggest fun prediction with Nintendo. They're they're gonna have their event, but they're not gonna announce the hardware at the event, and they're gonna post this, uh, like a screen cap of the new hardware after the event is already here. I'm like, oh. The, By the way, the, now announcing, you know, the Switch Pro because that's you know very Nintendo like. You know what? That I feels stupid on brand. Yeah, I, I, support, <laughs> I support that 110 percent. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I right. think we'll see something on Breath of the Wild 2 at some point later this year. I just don't think it's time. And the other thing is too, people saying it's coming out this year. I don't think there's literally a chance in hell that that game is coming out this year. Yeah, um, I think we got I think we're what happens first in the presentation Splatoon 2 or sorry, Splatoon 3 or uh, Breath of the Wild 2. Oh, Splatoon. Yeah. I, I for sure think Splatoon. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't so. know what happens. I have no idea. <laughs> the, the other thing I wanted to hit on quickly was Vatsal wrote into us and he said, Hey guys, with the announcement of Uncharted 4 coming to PC, I want to say that I'm really excited about it. Uncharted is one of my favorite series. I just want Sony to stop taking half steps on what games to bring to the PC. Either be all in or don't even bother. And first off, before we go any further, I did want to point out that this hasn't officially been announced, but Sony apparently did say in an investor call about two weeks ago that they are bringing it. So it's like kind of a half announcement. Uh, sorry, who, who wrote this in? Vatsal. Vatsal, uh, I 100% agree with you. I, I, I think Sony should keep things locked to PlayStation and PC uh, just because I feel like PlayStation is where you can get like, you know, like the mass consumption of this thing. And then you could be like, all right, here's your completely perfect bespoke experience. 
on yeah. PC. Like here's where you can have like the ultra HD settings. Here, here's where you can do everything the developers wish they had the tools to do on PlayStation here on PC. Right. See, but, like, I don't agree. But, but it has to be like a $1,400 PC. Like it has to be such a prohibitively expensive <laughs> PC that there's no choice for you but to buy a PlayStation or two yeah. to just play it there. <laughs> you see, I don't, I don't agree. I, it, this is hard for me because I think people compare PlayStation and Microsoft or Xbox so much, right? But the thing is, is that PlayStation doesn't have an operating system on, on computer, no. right? But Microsoft has both the console and the operating system. Sure. So on a PC, it's not crazy to think you can play Xbox games, right? When you play PlayStation games, it's very different. It's a very different feel. It doesn't feel right, almost. It feels like a little dirty. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why it feels like that, you know. But but it thing, does. But it does. <laughs> but my thing is, like, first off, I don't understand why he means it as a half step. How is bringing Uncharted Four to PC? Well, because well, they've done. Step. Well, because they've done Uncharted Four. They've done a Horizon. They've done. Uh, I, I think uh, De- Death Stranding. Sorry, that was on the last one. Well, yeah. yeah. So this, but, but like, they haven't brought God of War. You know, like right. they haven't brought like. Yeah, sure, but like, I guess my point is like, put it on such a debilitatingly expensive PC that people were like, "Well, we have it on PC, but you can't run it unless you know you spend like twenty eight hundred dollars on on building your own PC." Well, okay, so something like that just to give people like the unfettered experience if they like, because that way they at least get to like be like, "Hey, it's available on PC. It's not our fault your PC can't run it. Like our games are very demanding. If you want like a consumable version of this, we recommend the PlayStation." You know. but they would they would get called out. That wouldn't work. Yeah. They, they would get called out for that immediately for because like the reality is that like God of War by today's standards isn't it's not any more demanding than Control. People would pick up on that immediately. My thing is that like Sony can't just put all their exclusives on PC on day one because that's the only reason to buy a PS5. There is that like like there is yeah. not a whole lot of reason to buy a PS5 as it is. Sure. So for Sony to be like, hey, guess what? God of War two, PC day and date. Horizon two, I mean, PC day and date. If I if that happens, there is zero <laughs> chance of me ever buying a PlayStation Five. Right I guess, now. but could you ever buy a PC that could play those games for five hundred dollars? Not five hundred dollars. Even reasonably four hundred dollars. You know. I mean, no, no, absolutely not. It is one hundred percent the cheapest way to to play. But like. They are really already hurting for a reason. Yeah. They're already hurting for a reason for people to buy a PS5. You know, I think the God of War two. All right, I think that's. I, I, I think that's now though. Like, I think it's like I think we're still relatively early into the. Like, I think they started production on PlayStation Five, and then workers were affected who were making games. Like, but yeah. the they had to get so far ahead of like the actual production of consoles that like that's why. People have consoles, but there's nothing to play because you know workers were sent home because of because of COVID. It's like I'm willing to forgive the lack of games on PlayStation Five for like a future that I expect to be ripe with PlayStation Five games. But I guess, hmm. but that isn't that I, doesn't I guess the, the value proposition too. for PlayStation Five versus a PC to run these games because like I don't think anyone wants to buy a PC just to play these games with the same quality as their PlayStation Five counterparts because then you just buy a PC. Like, I think these games need to be, like, incredibly special versions. Like, I, like, you know, like a, like a 4K remaster equivalent, like a, like a, an old DVD that's never had a 4K Blu-ray print, you know? 
like something like that to be like, okay, we're putting out the the final edition, the director's cut of this game on PC to give you like what the developers can't do on PlayStation Five. Like I think that is like a valuable proposition. But then you're just Sony. then you're just burning your player base. I don't see how that is though, because you're just like, okay, here's the best possible version on hardware that like we don't think is massive, like uh, massively expendable or uh, massively producible. Like I, I personally, as a PlayStation gamer for the past 15 years, I don't see that as like a discouragement. Well, because right now Sony's trying to sell PS5s, and they're like, hey, here's you know God of War Ragnarok on PS5 the best version we can make it on ps5 but the special super edition is on pc oh i don't think day and date sorry like um i don't know if that was clear or not like i don't think day and date but i think like i wouldn't be upset if the ultimate version of a certain playstation exclusive ended up on pc like if the best possible version to play death stranding was on pc five years from now that wouldn't personally like upset me oh no i think once once they've sold all the copies that they're gonna sell on on play on the consoles i don't have a problem with like horizon yeah. coming to pc yeah or you know that's right that's, a, that's what i was talking about like the ultimate version coming out years after the fact on pc so there's at least like a permanent best version of this game in like that exists in perpetuity unbeholden to console generations like yes. that like that i think can absolutely exist and as a playstation gamer primary i don't mind that. like that doesn't offend me that like oh the best version of god of war ragnarok exists on pc five years after it comes out three years after whatever it is you know like a reasonable amount of time after it comes out on playstation oh yeah no i, I think that's fine i don't have like, like that. something like, like, like that i'm sorry if i was i wasn't i wasn't one of the people that really cared if horizon came to pc like that yeah. that wasn't me because like i don't think anyone's going to the store and being like oh i mean not not literally but there's very few people are they going to the store and being like, oh, you know, I want to buy Horizon or Uncharted 4. These or, days, know, absolutely. Days yeah. Gone. yeah. So them bringing those games to PC makes sense because it's like a whole new influx of money for next to nothing. From yeah. So, yes. Completely agreed. Yeah, okay. I think I think that's the thing for sure is just kind of the, okay, like these games are kind of done for and here's a way to make a quick buck. And Yeah, we've saturated one market. Right, for and I, I don't mind that. I, I will say I agree with Vatsal a little bit though as far as like it seems like it's kind of just random releases. Like there's no order to them whatsoever. Well, it's and weird because so, so far it's been uh, Decima Engine, right? Because like, uh, like those have gotten like the first priority because we got Horizon, we got Death Stranding. Those are both Decima. And yeah. then Uncharted Four. I don't know what engine that is. I, I, I don't. I don't think it's Destiny. In house. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably proprietary Naughty Dog. So. Yeah. Um, so that is interesting. Same thing with though. Days Gone. I would assume. I don't know. Days that. Gone. Days Gone was Unreal. Oh okay. Okay. It's like that has like an easy sort of transformation process, to my understanding. I'm not a yeah. developer, but like I know lots of Unreal Five games run on PC. Yeah. So. It's just interesting stuff, though. I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you guys said. I. I I just hope that there's more consistency moving on. And, you know, whether that's, hey, Horizon 2 is coming out this fall, you'll be able to play it on PC in two years or whatever it is. Like, right. I, I hope that we kind of get something more like that instead of a, hey, here's Uncharted 4 on PC a year after Horizon came out on PC, but Uncharted 4 came out like three years before Horizon on console. So it's like, it's just kind of a weird, a weird order to it so far. So. Yeah. They're just being very careful, I think. Right. I, no, and I agree with that. It um, feels it feels more like uh, 
like they're experimenting with like what works you know it's just like okay uncharted 4 is like a very existing property you know and so it's like how how does like a playstation legacy title perform on pc whereas like horizon was the first in a series uh death stranding was like a hideo kojima game i assume metal gear solid games release stay and date on pc as well i don't know i and, and i don't follow that series super closely but it seems like each game they've released so far on PC has been them being like them asking a different question about how would this do because of X reason, you know? Right. And Uncharted 4 seems like them being like, all right, what if we dipped into legacy titles, like actual right. PlayStation centerpieces? How did these perform as opposed to Horizon, which is brand new? Like for all intents and purposes, that could have been like a third, like an incredibly polished, incredibly well made third party exclusive, you know, that right. just as easily could have been on something else. So. All right, guys. Well, that was a good discussion on that. So I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. Of course, you're listening, so you already know this probably, but you can get Frameskip pretty much on any podcast service. Um, if you're on a service that allows the um, leaving a of a review, I guess is the the wording I'm looking for. Um, please do so. It does really help out the show. It helps get get us out there and get some exposure for us. Um, if you want to send us questions, you can always do so by filling out our question form at bit.ly slash frameskip Q. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash frameskip Q. Um, you can also send those questions into our social media pages. We are at frameskip pod on both Twitter and Instagram, and then facebook.com slash frameskip pod. If you want to follow us each individually, Seth is at Seth the '90s Kid. Don't follow don't, me. Don't follow him. George is at GB Loftus. Don't follow him either. Maybe George, <laughs> um, you want to be followed? No, don't follow me. But I will say okay. I'm going to release uh, the first mm-hmm. episode of a comic book podcast on this feed. Um, so don't follow me, but follow at PurpleBird six one six on Twitter if you want there more you comic book <laughs> comic book related <laughs> content coming to your ear holes. <laughs> but of don't follow I... GB Loftus. Do not follow me. Do not. He'll block you. He'll block you. I won't, but I will not be happy. <laughs> I am, of course, at Austin J Eller, and then our two buddies who are not here this week. We have Elijah. He's at Loco Lizard Man, and then. Coach just so happens to have the same Twitter handle as our main account, which is at FrameskipPod, and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week. We'll see you then. Smooth. Very good.